We're going to be in uh, Ruth chapter 2 this morning. We are in our second week of the study of the book of Ruth, and Jake kicked us off last week, preaching through uh, Ruth chapter 1. So as, uh, as I review a little bit of last week, well, you can go ahead and turn to Ruth 2 to follow along. And last week we, we were introduced to, to Ruth and Naomi, who were two prominent characters throughout the book of Ruth. And we learned that Ruth and Naomi were both uh, widows. Their husbands had all passed away and were left in what seemed like a very hopeless situation for them. With no husbands, no, no children of their own anymore, they were left to their own and left in, in what seemed the very desperate and hopeless situation. And they moved back to to Bethlehem, where Naomi was originally from. And Ruth, although she was was not from Bethlehem, uh, chose to to remain with her mother-in-law and follow her back to the town of Bethlehem. And we see this beautiful confession of Ruth in chapter in verse 16 of chapter one, uh, where she says. Uh, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And we see the, root, the, the allegiance of Ruth to her mother-in-law here, but also the, the allegiance to, to God here as well. She could have chosen to go back to, to worship her gods, but she remained committed to to the God of her, her husband and her mother-in-law in this time. And as we go through chapter 2 this morning, we're going to kind of see some new things and some even some, some things that Jake brought out last week that are even further developed and further unfolding here in this chapter. All right, I'm going to get cheesy here for a second, so just, just bear with me. So growing up, I come from a, a small town thousand people in my town and I'm from a church not much larger than this and you know there wasn't very many prospects for me to, to date date women so at I was like 22 23 years old and I'm like Lord who am I who am I gonna marry I'm, I'm gonna be single for the rest of my life and you know, I was I was very heartbroken that, that there was no girl for me to date and uh, for me to marry no potential uh, women for me to marry but looking back and and on that time, you know, God was working out a plan to bring me down here to, to Louisville and to meet my wife, Sarah. And uh, he was providing, in that time, he was providing for me a wife. And, and through Sarah, God reveals his kindness because she is so gracious to me. I'm cranky. I am a messy person. But she pours out her kindness and her love to me on a continual basis. And we're going to kind of see that in a greater way here this morning. So our big idea this morning is this. God in his providence provides for his people and pours out undeserved kindness to them. God in his providence provides for his people and pours out his kindness to them. And we're going to go through 
each of those, and some of them uh, build off one another, some of them closely relate to one another, but hopefully we see that here uh, as we continue in Ruth 2. So I'm going to read Ruth 2, and I ask that you follow along as I read. Beginning in verse 1, the writer writes, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said, said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars, and drink from the water what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am foreign? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law, after the death of your husband, has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed you have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah, a barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, but you go out with his maids, so, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. 
So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is God's providence. And as, as we read chapter 2, we see that that Naomi and Ruth are they're in need of food. They have no husbands to provide for them. So Naomi goes out to, to a field to glean. And we later learn in verse 3 that this field belongs to a man named Boaz. We are introduced to Boaz in verse 1 as a man who was of great wealth. He was a prominent man in the community. And he happened to be from the family of Elimelech. So, we have Ruth who, who happened, it says that she happened to come to this field of Boaz. Coincidence? I think not. No. This is God sovereignly working out a plan for, for them. And, and the narrator, uh, like I said earlier, it says that she happened to come to the field of Boaz. And it makes it sound as though it's a stroke of luck or, or by chance that she happened to come to that field. I think we need to remember that the narrator is telling it from the perspective of Ruth, and, and she might believe that, uh, that that she happened to come into this field by chance. But I also think that the, that the writer may be using a bit of irony here as well. It doesn't appear from reading the text that Naomi is, is aware of Ruth, where she is going, or has instructed Ruth, hey Ruth, go to this field, because we have a relative that owns that field. As Ruth returns to her, in verse uh, 19, she asked, Naomi asked Ruth, where did you glean today? And then Ruth tells her that it was from the field of Boaz that she was gleaning. gleaning. It appears that, that, that Boaz does know who Ruth and Naomi are. He says that he has heard everything that, that Ruth did for her mother-in-law. But it doesn't appear that Ruth knows anything about, about Boaz. And in fact, in, 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 as we see in verse 20, Naomi informs Boaz, I'm sorry, Naomi informs Ruth that Boaz is a relative of theirs. Not even just like a distant relative, he's a close relative at that. So we see here that Naomi doesn't tell Ruth about Boaz until after they meet. So it's not a scheme of Naomi that she is trying to introduce these humans, that to introduce Boaz to Ruth. But it's God sovereignly bringing Ruth to that field. And what we see here is we have a plan of God beginning to unfold. Now I got a spoiler alert here. If you don't like spoilers, plug your ears. And as Jake said last week, when you're preaching the book of Ruth, it's hard not to go to me because the end is so vital. And so key in understanding the, the end of it. But because of this plan that God is carrying out here, Boaz and Ruth are going to eventually get married, and they're going to have a child. And this child that Boaz and Ruth have, have is the grandfather of King David. Not only do they father the great, are they, their children not just are, are descendants of Ruth and Boaz. David is a, a descendant of them. But also, we also know that Christ was a descendant of David. So through the line of Boaz and Ruth, 
becomes a descendant of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's God's plan unfolding there. That's his working and him working in them. And we see here that Naomi's despair that she had in chapter 1, uh, where she says in, in um, verse 20 and 21, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me that the Almighty has inflicted me? We see that despair and that hopelessness that Naomi and, and Ruth would have had too, because she has no children of her own. This, this despair and hopelessness is beginning to be, to be reversed. And not only that, we have Ruth, who seems very insignificant. She is a Moabitess. She's not of the people of Israel. She's a woman who was typically overlooked in that day. She was, she was barren. She had no kids for 10 years. Her and her husband was married, and they had no kids. And Ruth doesn't see the, the plan of God, but God was using her for something greater and for something for something good. And as I said earlier, God in His sovereignty brings Ruth into Boaz's field, and he's a relative. And I think some translations will probably use the word redeemer of Amalek. So that's, a, that's kind of a tease for the coming weeks here. And I'm sure that Josh and uh, Trevor will expound upon that a little bit. So we have we see the providence of God here as he brings Ruth into the field of Boaz. But I think that there's another way that is, is possibly seen as well. Um, in verse 4, uh, it says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And in verse 8, he instructs Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean from another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my man. So this, this involves a, a little bit of speculation on my part, but it could possibly be that Ruth was just getting ready to leave that field to go to another field. Perhaps Boaz's workers were being rude to her. They were harassing her uh, because she was spending so much time there in the field, but that, that at that very moment, right before she leaves, Boaz comes up and instructs her not to not to leave that field, and to stay in his field, and to continue to glean from, from the, his crops. This reminds me of Psalm 37.23, which says, The steps of man are established by the Lord, and see delight in his way. And also Ephesians 1.11, which says, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works out, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We see that God is sovereign over all things. Down to the very steps that we take, he is in control. There are no accidents. We don't just stumble upon things. We aren't unusually lucky when good things go our way. And we don't have a string of bad luck when things don't go our way. No, we know that God is working out His plan and His will in every event that happens in someone's life. His gracious hand is present with us at all times. 
And sometimes we don't necessarily see that. We, we are short-sighted. We only see the short-term view of things. But often if we look back in certain situations, we can look and we can see the hand of God in that situation. Ruth had no idea that, that what God was doing with her. And as they look back on the generations, uh, if they look back at Christ, we can see how Christ is using Ruth to fulfill his plan. And, and we may not always see God's plan. We can look back maybe something that from 30, 40 years ago and like, God, what was the purpose of that? How, how was that for my good? We may never know that. But we can trust and we can have faith that God is working for our good and according to his good plan. A bit of an application here, and then we'll have some more applications at the end. But we need to trust God's providence and trust that He is fulfilling His plan. As I said, often we are short-sighted, and it's hard in those trials and in those times of hopelessness to see that good and to trust in God's good. But I think this is a theme that we have been seeing a lot of, and I'm reminded of Andy. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we need to be reminded of these things quite often. We saw this with Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, but he was using it for for good. He preserved Israel. He provided them with food and, and a, a land that was filled with, with plenty and a place for his people to go. And as Trevor preached from Judges a few weeks ago, one of his points of application is that God is sovereign and God is good. And often we don't see that. Often it's hard for us to, to trust and claim that. But we can trust that God is sovereign and He is good. And the second thing we see here in this chapter is God's provision. And I think that this really builds off of the fact that God is provident and that God is good. If he is those things, then God will provide for his people. Because God is sovereign and he is good, his people will not lack any good thing. You see Ruth and, and Naomi here, two widows moved from foreign land. They have nothing. They have no, no sons, no, no descendants to help provide for them. They have no husbands to help protect them, help feed them. But what we do see here that as God has provided a way for them to, to to have food for Him to sustain them. And in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's in God's law, there is built-in protection for for widows and, and for the poor. And, and what would happen is that the widows and the poor and, and the foreigners could go to the fields and and glean from the corners of the fields. The workers were supposed to leave. The, the corners uncut, and then as they are going along the field, any grain that fell to the ground, any any stalks of, of grain, they were supposed to leave there for the poor and for the widows, and they could come back behind them and pick those up. So Ruth is able to to go to the field and to glean glean food for her in my own. And look how much God provides in verse 17. It says, So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah, and barley. An ephah is about 
uh, about a bushel, or I'm sorry, about three-fifths of a bushel. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the bushel basket. My grandfather had two. They're probably about this big, about that tall. So it's about three-fifths of that. And th this three-fifths of a bushel would have been enough to feed her and Naomi for about two, two weeks. So during that one day of her going to that field, God provided over two weeks of, of food for them. And not only did God provide just that one day's harvest, but as we read on <coughs> um, in verse 23, it says, But she stayed close by the maids of Boaz and ordered to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now the barley harvest, the barley harvest, would occur in the month of April and May, and then the wheat harvest occurs a few weeks later in June. So likely, she was able to work in the field for a couple of months. Now, doing the, doing the math, I didn't do it. Someone much smarter than me was able to do it. Based on that, what she was able to glean in that one day. If she was able to go and work in those fields for those two months, they would have been able to have enough food to be able to sustain them for almost one year. At least over a much greater time span. Not maybe quite a year, but maybe, maybe nine months, ten months. So we see here, God is providing food for them. Not only does he provide food for them, but he provides water for, them, for Ruth as well. He gives her water to drink. Now, the gathering of water, and I'll go into this a little bit more, was done by foreigners. But here he is allowing uh, Ruth to, to drink from his, his jars of water. Not only does he provide food, not only does he provide water for Ruth, he also provides her protection. Now, being a widow, not having a husband, not having sons to help protect her, she would have been very at risk in that, in that society for being harassed, for being physically abused, maybe sexually harassed by, by men. But God allows a safe place for Ruth to be able to go and glean, glean food. And thus ensuring the safety of Ruth, who would have no doubt been a vulnerable, vulnerable person. And he also would eventually supply her with a husband and children, as we will see in these coming weeks. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God provides every good thing that his people need. And he knows what we need and will supply it. Now, does this mean that we get everything we want? No. There's going to be times where we want something. There's going to be times where we think that we need something that is for our good. But it's not necessarily what God needs for our good. So we don't always get what we think we need. It may be something tangible that he provides for us. But it could be he provides us with peace, with comfort, in times of turmoil, and hardship, and despair. 
He may provide. He provides us with with love. He provides us with every spiritual blessing. He may give give us patience in times of of hardship. He may give us the very words to say to that we need to when we are we are witnessing, or words of encouragement to provide to somebody who who is in in despair. And Trevor read the text in Matthew six this morning. And at the end it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's telling us not to be anxious as God clothes the lilies and he feeds the sparrows. He says we should not be anxious because God cares for us much more. Now there's a question that comes out of that. Are there Christians who go hungry? Are there Christians who starve? Are there Christians who lack the necessities of life? And I think history, and if we look around the world, the answer is yes, but there are times where that does happen. So how do we explain it? How do we make sense of that? How are there Christians who do suffer hunger and lack clothing and the basic necessities when, when God tells us that we will not lack any good thing? And I think the answer is this, and I think John Piper explains it well. And he says that God supplies us with everything that we need to do with his will. He will feed us. He will clothe us. He will give us the transportation we need. He will give us everything we need in order to accomplish his will. So I think that that, that answers it. That God will supply us with what we need to accomplish his will to fulfill his good plans. So after seeing God's providence and God providing for his people, I think the last thing that we see here is that God pours out his undeserved kindness on his people. And this closely relates to that provision God's providing. Because in God's kindness and in his sovereignty, he provides Ruth and Naomi. But he doesn't just provide them with just enough to get by. He lavishes them with his kindness and his mercy. He provides them with more than enough. And his kindness and mercy are revealed in his abundant provision. In verse 20, it says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative, he has done. He is one of our close relatives. So who does this refer to uh, in verse 20 where it says, who has not withdrawn his kindness? Is it referring to Boaz? Or is it referring to God? I think it may be purposely ambiguous that uh, the scholars, uh, it's hard to tell who it's referring to. But I think it may be that on purpose, because we see the kindness of God reflected through Boaz. God uses humans, he uses human agency to show grace, and he does that here with Boaz. He uses Boaz to show his his kindness to her. And Boaz goes beyond what he has to do for her. He goes 
he lavishes this kindness upon him. As I said earlier, he was only he only had to leave the corners of the field and then not pick up the grain that was left off that, that fell down as his work was working. But what does Boaz do? He instructs his workers to purposefully leave some grain back for her so that she could have even more. And as I said earlier, he provides her with water, and it was the foreigner's job to go and gather the water. But here he has Ruth, who is a foreigner, who he says, go and drink some, drink some of the water. You see, Boaz is lavishing Ruth with kindness and mercy. And let's, like I said, let's remember what, what Ruth was. She was a foreigner too. She was a Gentile. She was not of the people of God. Jim Hamilton says, God does not owe mercy to Ruth the Moabitess. In fact, no Moabite was to enter the assembly of God to the tenth generation. As the events of the book of Ruth are guided by God's sovereignty, he is showing mercy to Ruth. Mercy she does not deserve. Mercy she does not expect. Mercy on which she has no claim. Mercy that could have been directed to some other family in response to Naomi's claim that God has dealt bitterly with her. Does that sound familiar? We're a lot like Ruth. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve His kindness. But He still chooses to bestow His grace and His mercy on us, to both Jew and Gentile. And we too should be a lot like Boaz. Boaz's kindness reflects the kindness of God and the steadfast love of the Lord that has been shown to us. And we can use our resources, the ways that God has blessed us, to show kindness and to show love to others. So I have four points um, of application here that we seek in taking this text. First one, recognize God is sovereign. He is good, and He is working all things according to His will. Recognize God is sovereign, He is good, and He is working all things according to His will. This should help us to, to not be bitter when hardship comes our way, for us not to feel hopeless when those trials do come. We can remember that God is ever-present. He is constantly at work. He is not absent. He has not forgotten us. But He is fulfilling His plan for our good. Second thing God providentially and mercifully cares for us. God providentially and mercifully cares for us. Sometimes we have the view that God is a vindictive judge. He was just waiting for us to mess up and he would pour judgment upon us. But he is, he is a God who mercifully and providentially 
cares for us, who loves us, who lavishes his kindness and his mercy on us. And the third thing we see, we can take from this text, because God has shown mercy to us, we should show mercy to others. We need to remember that we are much like Ruth. We are we are strangers. We are the foreigners. But through Christ, we were adopted as, as sons and daughters. And because of what we we once were, we should look to show kindness and and love and care for for others. We were in the same same plight that we we once were. Fourth thing that we see is that He also has given given us His own Son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, and in the cross, His greatest provision and His greatest kindness and mercy is most greatly displayed. For what we really do deserve is God's wrath and God's justice. But that was all poured out on Christ at the cross. The wrath that we deserve, the punishment, was all placed upon Christ. And in turn, that through faith, we become sons and daughters of Christ. We are we are given Christ's righteousness. We we are seated in heavenly places. Christ is our great Redeemer. He came, he came to rescue us. And as we transition into the Lord's Supper this morning, and as we take communion, we remember that. We remember God's body which was broken for us, it was bruised, scarred, beaten for us. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, and it washes us clean and makes us white like snow. This is the greatest provision, it's Christ. Let us let us remember that this morning.